Welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio, the podcast for all of our heroes in public safety, including law enforcement professionals, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, healthcare workers, and more. The show is produced by the POCUA and is founded upon its soundness initiative. This episode is sponsored by the Finest Service Organization, a provider of line of duty death loan protection through many of our POCUA institutions. Uh, welcome to Public Safety Talk Radio. This is a real pleasure in that I'm able to do an interview in person and I have three great law enforcement professionals. Uh, we'll start with Captain Reggie Rader to, to my left here uh, and then right in the middle and the cutest one of all of us is Tracy Shevlin uh, who is uh, the sheriff, your sheriff. That's the title that it says out there. <laughs> Project, Project Assistant. And we have, I know I'm going to mess this up, but we're going to give it a shot, Jeremy Bozart. I got it. All right. Hey, what was your title? Uh, I'm a police officer, but I'm an assistant project manager out there, too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm here, and I know I'm going to get this wrong, too, at the Las Vegas Training Institute. Right. We Every police officers love the acronym, so it's the JETI. The JETI. Okay. The Joint Emergency Training Institute. Yeah, see, so, you know, they, they were smart enough to give me, as an idiot, a brochure so I could just look at it and say it and remember it, but I wasn't that bright. So, yeah, I, I had the distinct pleasure to tour this facility, uh, I want to say like two months ago, in conjunction with the Public Safety Foundation Summit. Um, and I was blown away. This is amazing. It, it's, it's my opinion that law enforcement is really, across the country, lacking in resources. Um, and I'm a pessimistic person by nature, but one thing that does my heart really well is the what we're doing for law enforcement, the entrepreneurship, the technology, and what we're doing. And this is a great example of that because this is an amazing facility. Yeah, tell me a little bit about the journey, you know, how, how hard was it to get this thing done? You know, what, 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 how many years was this in the making? So this started around five years ago. And it was always kind of an idea for bringing all of law enforcement together, or really all first responders. And I will say this, in the Valley, in the Las Vegas Valley, we've been fairly progressive as far as relationships with our fire departments, with our other agencies. Anyone that's visited Las Vegas, you think of the Las Vegas Strip, the glitz and glamour, which is indeed the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department's jurisdiction. And uh, But Clark County is very, very, very wide. And uh, Las Vegas Metro Police is the largest agency, but we have several sister agencies that we work with on a daily basis. Uh, you know, they cover one side of the street, we cover the other. So uh, really getting everybody on the same page. And uh, MACTAC is what we what we learned in Mumbai, with the uh, terror attacks in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. uh, we needed a joint response where there were consistent tactics by multiple first responding agencies. So really handling the active assailant back then, it was active shooter situations and preparing for those types of things. That was what kind of unified all the departments together where we're not so worried about what's your use of force policy, what's our use of force policy. Hey, let's get pen to paper and let's come up with some good tactics, good lesson plans that we can all agree on. So if you have four different color uniforms and agencies showing up to this active shooter at this location, they can gear up and they can go as a team and they can end that threat. So that's uh, what really started us working together with all the other different uh, departments. And, and, and the MACTAC concept for us, I believe it's more West Coast, a lot of the West Coast agencies, California trains very similar, so does Utah and Arizona. But that really taught us the importance of getting on the same page for an event like that. Now the way that we train, uh, five years ago we looked at bringing this together, but then there's always the issue of funding, mm -hmm. right? We know if something is paid for by the government, 
it is going to take a very, very long time. <laughs> what? Well, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, you mean things that the government is in charge of and or gives money to takes a long time? Shocker, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. So uh, our, our sheriff had uh, a lot of foresight in that, and, and our undersheriff at the time, Kevin McMahill, our sheriff, Joe Lombardo, said we need to raise these funds privately. And we feel like there's a need to do that. There's an appetite to do that. And it's not just supporting us. That's why we don't call it the Metropolitan Police Department Training Center. We call it the JETI because it's encompassing so many different aspects of that. So they were able to, over those five years, go out and seek money, uh, lots of donations, private donations, to really get this thing going. And I, I do personally believe if this was a typically you know, government-funded facility, we might just be breaking ground right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but. The, the, the leadership that was provided on this project has allowed us to have this wonderful facility with room to grow. There's several acres that we have a 10-year plan. This thing in 10 years will, will be even better than it is today. It, it does my heart really good to see different first responder organizations working together. Uh, in my hometown of Chicago, that doesn't always happen. In, in other cities, unfortunately, it, it's not just police and fire. There are different police agencies right. that just don't get along and share information, much less you know go and have a beer with each other. So it's great to see and hear, as I heard in the tour, that there were not only other police departments, but I think you mentioned that there's a military base that wants to use this, that firefighters want to use it that you have other first responder public safety organizations that are going to play a part in using and training together at this facility did i get that right or was was i just did a neuron not no, fire no, that you, day? <laughs> you got it right i feel like you've read this pamphlet already i have not i have not but i i, I promise you i will <laughs> So, so tell us a little bit more about that, the other organizations that are going to come and train with you and, and do some things. So we, we saw really, you know, the last two years, if you take a look at how policing has changed. Now, granted, we were working on this project five years ago, but it's, it's never rang more true on how important it is to train together than the incidents we saw. Right. And I'll bring up a couple. Um, uh, Kim, I believe it was Kim Potter. The female officer who mistakenly pulled her handgun when she thought it was her taser. Right. We saw the damage that did to the community. We saw on a national scale what it did. Uh, sadly, many lives were impacted by that. The the suspects as well as, as uh, the officer who uh, was, was convicted and found guilty. We know she did not intend to kill that individual. That is 100% a training issue. And, and this is from... Just total anecdotal, I don't know uh, the history of there, so I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but what I believe happened there and talking to some of our other trainers here is uh, it was a lack of training. And there's things you can do to safeguard. One of them is just the way you deploy your gear. For us, we have to have a cross draw taser so you, the muscle memory thing isn't sure. there. But if you have a career of every time you go through training, the scenario ends with you pulling out your firearm and you pulling the trigger, or every time you're thrown into a stress-inducing situation, uh, whether it be real life or in training, you pull that gun out, uh, that's what's gonna happen. So mm -hmm. we, we believe she intended to pull her taser out, but you have to have an environment where you can simulate the stresses that are gonna occur out there, right? At 3 a.m. in the darkest hour mm -hmm. of town and the worst part of town. You need to have something to where it's not just, hey, we're here for training, let's high-five each other. Oh, I got that scenario wrong. Okay, move on to the next one. So the way we found out about doing that the best is by pulling all the resources together, getting all the trainers together, because what happens on one side of the street in a different jurisdiction can have 
profound impact on us on this side of the street. If somebody has a mistake of fact shooting, we saw what happened uh, with some mistake of fact shootings or just the bad inappropriate uses of force uh, with George Floyd mm -hmm. and how that swept the nation. We had civil unrest here and, and riots and disturbances here that happened and we never thought that would happen with an agency that was so far removed from us. So uh, albeit somebody that shares the same valley, uh, it's just important for us to all be on the same page when we train because it, we are one huge brotherhood and sisterhood uh, of first responders. And then peeling that layer back even more, uh, the, the fire department and the paramedics now are brought into that because as the line of what is a police matter versus what's a socioeconomic matter, the mental health things, mm -hmm. the majority of the people we get into critical incidents with and officer involved shootings with have some history of mental health. And we know that uh, as a country, we've really failed that segment of the population. And it's just defaulted to be a police response mm -hmm. because nobody else wants to deal with that. So by bringing the people that can really help, the, the paramedics and the medical professionals back into the fold with that, so we can kind of deal with it with a mutual response is hopefully gonna help us maintain legitimacy in the community by reducing those officer-involved shootings. Yeah, there's, there's so much to unwrap there. A lot of things that uh, I've had the pleasure to talk about in public safety talk radio before. And it's, it's my belief, and I've said this several times, I'm, I'm not on the side of defend the police. I'm not on the side of uh, defund the police either, obviously. Right. I, I think that there's a middle ground that we're, we're, not, we're missing as a society. And if you want to write something uh, on a piece of cardboard and staple a stick to it and put it uh, up on the street, it's develop the police. And I think you know, there are unfortunate incidents that happen, uh, but what can we learn from that? You know, I think that the, uh, the Kim Potter situation that you mentioned is a perfect example. Um, it's my belief that we need to throw more resources at police, but in the right way. Right. Um, you know, let's not buy them more guns and bulletproof vests, although I'm, I'm fine with that. Let's, let's get more mental health training. Let's, let's get better training ahead of time. It was ironic because that very Kim Potter case came up in an interview I did with the folks from the Prosecutors Podcast where they were doing a case on a nurse that mistakenly gave somebody the wrong medication and she ended up dying and it was there was a lot of talk about the training the stress of the job and so forth and how much came into that but at the end of the day she had a responsibility to care for that person and we could talk about stress all the time and how it affects you but yeah as much as I feel bad about what happened to that officer you have a responsibility to pull your taser when you're supposed to pull your taser and a responsibility to pull your firearm when you pull your firearm. And I think that that training, you know, makes a lot of sense. Now a word from one of the POCUA's proud business partners, OfficerPrivacy.com. OfficerPrivacy.com was founded by Pete James, a law enforcement professional with over 25 years of experience. Pete wanted to find a way to help law enforcement officers protect themselves and their families. So he formed a team to create a way to quickly identify and remove their information from certain sites. Officerprivacy.com is the result. This service is already offered through a select few of our POCUA organizations. As a listener of Public Safety Talk Radio, you can take advantage of a special offer from Officerprivacy.com. 
go to officerprivacy.com slash P-O-C-U-A, and when you sign up, you'll get two additional bonuses. In addition to removing your personal information from the top 30 people search sites, they will give you your first two months of monitoring free. This is a value of $39.98. In addition to that, you'll receive a cell phone privacy device, a $19.99 value. This prevents data from leaving your cell phone when you use public charging stations and is a must when traveling. So go to officerprivacy.com slash P-O-C-U-A today to take advantage of this offer and to protect your privacy. Organizations who are members of the POCUA and are interested in offering the service directly to their members, contact us at POCUA at btcinc.org. The, the one thing I would like to say about training is every police department, certainly here at Vegas Metro in the, in the Valley, officers have a responsibility to hold the sanctity of life to the utmost of course. Sure. And when everyone wants to talk about defunding the police or pro or anti-police, one banner I think everybody can get behind is better preparing your police. Yes. Right? And a lot of the budgets are already there to buy the bulletproof vests, right? The, the, the handguns, the things that you need, the tools to do the job. But I would urge anybody looking to do something similar to this that that should really be your narrative because everybody, whether it's you know uh, social justice warriors, the NFL, a sports franchise that you might think is anti-police, how can they not get behind, hey, have a reality-based training center, putting money towards training our officers so we can limit the amount of deadly force situations that they have. We can teach them on how to properly de-escalate, yeah. how to force transition, how to communicate and de-escalate to have a better peaceful resolution. So that's something that I know when uh, Sheriff Lombardo and our undersheriff at the time, Kevin McMahill, were going around talking to the community stakeholders, uh, people could really get behind. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's not, we're not an occupying force. We truly are partners with the community and we are only as effective as the community wants us to be mm -hmm. and they allow us to be. And the way we did police work 20 years ago is different than 10 years ago. And I will say the way we do police work now is different than just two years ago. Uh, diving into more of the training aspect, a lot of police departments are doing a better job at uh, having those startled responses. Uh, an officer shows up, does a person pull out a, a cell phone or is it a gun? Do you pause? Do you communicate with each other? A lot of agencies are getting better at that. Something we did to add another layer of it is the supervisory aspect of that, right? And we look at some of these use of force situations that have been prolonged or where there's multiple officers arrived, probably doing stuff that is, is too far, that should have been stopped. A lot of times the supervisor's there. Was that supervisor who one day is a peer with them and then the next day is their boss put through the same type of stress-inducing training that we put our officers through? So maybe it's not necessarily tactics, but you have to in, put them in an environment where they have to take a step back and see all of the pieces going on. Is there a crossfire situation? Is that excessive force now? Do I need to get involved there? Uh, what's the crime scene component of it? So that's something we like to do here at the Reality Based Center is have the supervisors be put through the paces to really have to supervise up to that job because the absence of training you're going to police down to or you're going to react to the last level of training that you feel yeah. comfortable with so we really have to do a, a good job of getting those first and second line leaders out there to be true leaders and not revert back to just being another officer on the scene correct i i completely agree with that and you know again you know i am 
as a civilian, amazingly impressed with what Las Vegas is doing here. Um, yeah, I think that it's probably one of the models out there for some of the other police departments to, to look at. Um, let's backtrack a little bit because um, I remember from the tour that I took, you know, we did talk about that un very, very unfortunate incident here in Las Vegas at, uh, I believe it was the Harvest Fest, the active shooter out of the Mandalay Bay and so forth. Um, and, I, you know, I've heard people, well, why didn't police know more? Why didn't we do things beforehand? And I always remind them on September 10th, you know, 2001, nobody ever dreamed that a bunch of crazy bastards would get in the planes and start taking down buildings. Right. You know, nobody ever thought that somebody was going to blow out a window in the Mandalay Bay and start shooting people. It just never happened before. Now, unfortunately, it, it's happened. And I remember you mentioning that as unfortunate as that is, you learned a lot from that incident to help not have that happen again. Can you talk a little bit about that day and talk about a little bit about what's been learned and what's being done now? Absolutely, and I would urge any of the first responders listening, uh, if they would like us to come out. I just, uh, two weeks ago, was in Kansas mm -hmm. teaching at a law enforcement thing there because we want everybody to learn the evil that our valley faced that, way, that day and how we were able to overcome it and then the lessons that we learned. But on one October, we had a gunman uh, kill 58 people that day, and sadly, two more have died from their injuries since then, so it's up to 60. And it was the largest uh, mass shooting that we've had in modern history. And some of the things that we learned are the internal things that were being done at some of these properties uh, really needed to be revamped, right? Uh, we want everybody to feel welcome when they come to Vegas, but there's a safety component as well. If you walk around Times Square, you see a lot of officers with rifles and MP5s. Uh, that was an environment that before 1 October, we didn't really have here in Vegas. It was supposed to be a little bit looser, a little bit more welcoming. You're allowed to walk down the street on the resort quarter with a beer in your hand, with alcohol. So uh, for whatever reason, right, wrong, or indifferent, um, the posturing was a little different. Uh, the music festival was targeted by this, this evil individual, and when we found out after the fact, looking at his computer, he had Googled various outdoor concerts, multiple schools, children's museums, Fenway Park, Venice Beach, mm -hmm. uh, but he happened to choose uh, our valley to, to carry out that attack. If you look at uh, when the, the, the time the shooting started happening, the, the amount of chaos that was there, some of it was the fireworks that were going off, there was microphones on stage that remained on, so it was really hard to triangulate where the shooting was happening, just from a, a, a boots on the ground perspective. So we've worked with uh, the partners that come here now and do other events, we have a, a designated plan if something were to happen, what they should be doing. And I won't go too much into that, but from the time the shooting happened, uh, it took uh, 10 minutes for officers to get up to the 32nd floor and the individual decided to take his own life because uh, he is a coward that he is. He took his own life, but uh, in 10 minutes time, he was able with that small arsenal that he had, able to, to end the lives of 58 people. So there's other things that the casinos are doing now, the challenges of, of traversing a high rise. There's a lot more officers for special events that are stationed inside those properties so they can have a quicker response. The casinos themselves have response teams. They have, uh, uh, the way that it was configured, it was a very, very long uh, hallway, really a fatal funnel that just went on forever to, to get to this end room. So now they have some uh, ballistic shields on rollers that you can actually uh, traverse and, and aggress up to that area mm -hmm. uh, and have some protection as well. 
but the other thing we learned that day are some of the things that we had been doing that helped us prevail. And I truly believe that the body count would be a lot higher than 60 if we didn't have such a good working relationship mm-hmm. with the other partners. I was the operations chief that night and at the command post and staging area, uh, uniforms from every agency were showing up and they were seamlessly put. It didn't matter if it was a North Las Vegas police officer supervisor with a metro officer and a school police officer. And they were able to go as a response team to go seek out a mission. Uh, and then the fire department as well. Um, the, the rescue task force that we do where we provide a level of protection for the fire department while they go into those warm zones and even on that night we're going into hot zones to start triaging and providing aid for those individuals. Um, that came together because of the relationships we had previously and it's just something we've expanded upon. And this facility was talked about before the tragedy of 1 October ever happened, but after that incident it really showed the need for why something like this is needed. And, and we, you know, Tracy does the majority of the tours here at Jeremy. Uh, I would urge anybody that's interested in doing something like this to come on out, see the way that we train, and if there's anything we can provide for you to get this on, I believe this is truly the model going forward of really sharing the resources and not just uh, hunkering down, having that locker room mentality, if it's just our department against this department against this department. Yeah. We usually have uh, a pool of resources or funding that if spread out or we're a little bit more innovative with how that can happen, it'll be beneficial for everybody. We just have to be willing to share. Yeah, and I could say as a civilian who's gone on the tour, if you're in law enforcement and you're trying to, even if you're not building a full training facility like this impressive uh, place building, whatever you want to call it, that we're in today, um, yeah, I, I think that it's impressive to come on out here and you know, and talk to Jeremy, you know, talk to Tracy, talk to Captain Raider, and, and see what's being done here because I think that you can definitely take a, a piece from here and be able to apply it in, in your own department. Uh, plus, you get to come out to Vegas, which is Who doesn't want to come to Vegas? Well, maybe if it's like late July, <laughs> not so much. Uh, but, you know, I mean, Captain Raider will travel to you to places Kansas? I went to it, Kansas. Don't, don't you get to go someplace cool like Florida you know or so Hawaii I, or Manhattan at least? When, when I have to say this. When I, when I was in Kansas, uh, the Jayhawks won the championship. Ah, they were playing okay, in New yeah. Orleans, but they won the championship. And yeah. when I was at the FBI National Academy in D.C., the Nationals won the World Series. Wow. So if you want your pro team to win a sport <laughs> or a college team, get a hold of me. I'll come on out there around championship time and some good things will happen. So to all of my friends in the Chicago Police Department, uh, sometime in late October, because um, I'm a big, big White Sox fan, have these folks come out there yes. because I want to see another Chicago White Sox World Championship. <laughs> I'd say something with the Bears, but that's just not going to happen. Uh, but uh, to kind of wrap up you know, the uh, what unfortunately happened in the mass shooting and, and also bring in another aspect, um, you know, uh, my, I did have members of my family at that uh, particular event um, was a cousin and a friend of, of my wife's and fortunately un- unfortunately one got shot fortunately they're fine and physically fine you know psychologically you know I don't know um, and and I know they've commented on the response from a positive angle on this and, and I agree with you it would have been a lot more than 60 had it not been uh, the response that it was and to 
uh, get into the learning aspect of, well, we're not going to let that happen again. At the time of taping this, we're just after this little thing called the NFL draft. Yes. Um, and ironically, you know, I'm staying on Koval just in back of okay. the link. Uh, and I got here on Friday. Uh, I will tell you, I, I, I never felt so safe. You know, now not so much because you're all gone. You know, what I mean, you go down Koval, Koval, it's like a ghost town. It's like now I'm afraid. You know, now I, I'm got, I got Captain Raiders card. Like, hey, you know, this is kind of weird over here. But Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, I wasn't here Thursday. Uh, tremendous amount of police presence. Uh, very, very visible. Um, all over the place. Uh, there were helicopters above me, you know, which kind of scared me. I don't know if that was news or if those were you guys, but you know, in all seriousness, it truly seemed to me that you know, you learn from past events as well. This ain't happening on our watch on this, and you had that sucker surrounded in a lot of ways. Can you talk a little bit about the preparation for something as big as the NFL draft? And there were other things going on around right. here. I was at CrimeCon. I think there was an NAB conference. But there's always a couple things going on in Vegas. But anyhow, I'll shut up. You know, talk about you know what you did for the NFL draft ahead of time. Well, and that's the thing about Vegas. On any given weekend, it's a mega weekend. We have Formula F1 racing coming next year. Electric Daisy is a three-day event that just brings uh, hundreds of thousands of people to the valley. I had the pleasure of working the draft on Saturday, and uh, a lot of preparation went into there. Um, it was a New Year's Eve-style event for us for three days. Mm -hmm. And uh, closing down the Las Vegas trip to vehicle traffic doesn't happen very often, but it happened for this event. Um, we are I appreciated that as I tried to get to Bally's on Friday. That, that worked out really well. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. But, uh, no, there was a lot of preparation that went into uh, to planning with the NFL folks. And, and, you know, fortunately for us, we do so many large-scale events. We're able to uh, get the plans and, and modify them. But uh, 50,000 people each day in that footprint, not to mention all mm -hmm. the media that comes with it, the VIPs, the players, uh, but really just locking that venue down and having – uh, everything else that's that's happening in the world, vehicles being used for weapons, right? Suicide bombers, having those things in place. And I'm, I'm not going to go into all the safety protocols that we do because we want some of those things to stay. Uh, to, to stay uh, I appreciate that. But, uh, I mean, every every window that was looking down into that area uh, from from what we learned in one October, those rooms have all been checked, mm -hmm. right? And there was other people watching all of those rooms with Overwatch and uh, rifles and snipers, so. I can assure you everybody in that area was extremely well protected. And then uh, I know you said all the police officers left. Uh, what you don't see is we have a lot of plainclothes officers down there yeah. as well and cameras. And um, But we do. That's the jewel of, of really of Nevada, the Las Vegas trip, and we protect that yeah. uh, because that is our home turf. But I'm glad you were able to be down there and you saw the good police presence. It was a, a very wonderful draft. The NFL were, mm -hmm. were gracious guests, and they said they'll be coming back soon. And we have the Super Bowl coming yep. in two years. So, we'll yep. so you're prepped for that. Again. <laughs> I don't know if the Raiders or the Bears will be playing in it, but maybe if they are, you know, we can meet up again. Well, Raiders got Devontae Adams, so unfortunately I think that uh, you, you got a better shot yes. <laughs> than my Bears. As we begin to try and wrap up here, I want to get Tracy and, and Jeremy into the mix here. You know, let's get back to this, this training institute, this just jetty, I'll call it by the right name for the first time in this interview. Um, talk about the tours, talk about what's going on here. You know, talk about what people can learn here at the jetty. So this, what we're sitting in now is the, uh, 
building A, we call it. Um, and we have all the instructors and mat rooms in here. We have virtual reality. Um, and we have another program that's called a laser shot. Um, and then next door is building B, where we're going to have the, um, what is like the virtual or we'll have a community. We'll have a commercial side of the community, and then we'll have a res residential side of the community. Mm -hmm. So on one side of the building, it has a mezzanine. So on top, we'll have a school. We'll have breaching doors for them to practice there. We'll have a convenience store on the bottom. We'll have a casino, a motel, hotel, um, doctor's office. Anything that you'll find in the community mm -hmm. is what we're trying to recreate. Um, on the residential side, we'll have a single-story home, a two-story home, a, a, a single-wide trailer. We'll have a park area, um, a fourplex. So we can, under any different year, we can change it out. We can move it around. Um, what we don't want is for our officers to be like, okay, well, we know what the scenario is going to be. Mm -hmm. You know, they can come at us from the right or the left, but still, this is this is the layout of the house. So what we're trying to re to create is homes that we can move around the inside. So today you may go in and you're walking into the living room. Tomorrow you may go in and you're walking into a hallway, which is bedrooms on the side. Um, so basically anything that you find in the community is what we're trying to create in Building B. Building A is mainly just admin. So we have classrooms, like Jeremy said, we have the simulation room, we have the VR room. Um, but mainly we're just admin in this building. And then from there, um, for our future site, what we're looking to do is build an outdoor village, which mm -hmm. we'll, we, we have 40 acres in a lands bill. And we're trying to, what we'll do there is we'll recreate the courthouse, the jail, um, just more of the community. We'll have 40 acres of a community um, just north of where we're at. Will there be a fake 24 hour wedding chapel? <laughs> <laughs> we have lots of cops that I'm sure could design that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, well, and then we would need the attorney's office yeah. and the divorce. <laughs> divorce, yes. Yeah. 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 It's very possible that we will take that part of downtown <laughs> and recreate that down one of our streets. <laughs> um, so from there, you know, we just want, we want to build the best of the best. And then yeah. once we build the best, we want to build better than our best. Um, that's our, our ultimate goal. So in doing, uh, yeah, I, I know that the, the community hasn't been built yet. You know, I was right. able to see the space and you talked about the real life type training that you're going to have in there. Um, are you going to have some folks, you know, play like a, um, a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not not victims, but um, a uh, a fake bachelorette party that's drunk and out of hand, <laughs> and will and will and will Captain Raider be like the one that's getting married playing? And that's it. Have, no. have you seen The Hangover? We're gonna recreate <laughs> that. Yeah. Someone's gonna be stuck on the roof. We'll have a fake Caesar's Palace. <laughs> well, the best the best part of that movie is when I, I can't even say his name. You know, got hit with the taser in yes. the face, and the guy says, "In the face!" <laughs> you do that here, right? right. So, that's okay. <laughs> I, I was at the academy last week, and it was bring your kid to work day. So the academy for first inspection is dressing down the new recruits and yelling at them, and the kids are just off to the side watching. I'm like, let's get these kids in here. And someone was brought up uh, that movie. Hey, can they tase one of the recruits? I'm like, we're not gonna have a taser. <laughs> now I, I heard that there's a ten thousand dollar prize if you choose to get tased. 
So can I get ten thousand dollars on Kent? Never mind. We, we <laughs> got my bounce though. We got yeah. tased. I, I have a problem with Taser because we got tased for free, or I think we got a T-shirt back in the day. I don't. Know I got tased, and all I got was this freaking T-shirt. T-shirt. Was it yeah. T-shirt? Yeah. So. And your job. I did. I did. Yeah. Get, did yeah, get your job. Job requirement. <laughs> yeah. So all right, I'll get back in the serious mode. I don't like to go there too often, but we'll get back in the serious mode as we begin to, to wrap this up because you all have more important jobs to do than to talk to me. Um, how, you know, in your words, each of you will will this you know maybe in you know a couple sentences, how will this jetty uh, improve um, the jobs of law enforcement in this metropolitan area, uh, both in the short term and in the intermediate term? Um, you know, when one October happened, I was just uh, in FTEP, just beginning my, my career, and uh, it was kind of like watching everybody try to work together, firefighters, EMS, police officers, security guards, um, was kind of scrambled around. Uh, nobody knew how to stack together. Nobody knew how to enter the rooms. <clears throat> so, for this to come together, where security officers, everybody can come here and work. We have, you know, Clark County Fire Department. We can use Building B there. We can bring in their fire trucks, and everybody can stack and work together. What is your job? And that was one of the biggest. Uh, when I was in FTEP, I was like, "There's not enough training. We need somewhere to to all come and collectively train together." So this is this is what I. I pictured my mind, I guess. Awesome, Tracy. Um, pretty much what you know. What Jeremy no, you can't do that. You can't say no. What Jeremy said. No, you got to come up with something completely new. So my aspect of the building is completely different than sure. than coming up with the training and being on the street. I'm a civilian as well as you are, so I haven't gone through the training that they've gone through. What I can tell you from the administrative side, because that's what I uh, did for Metro for 14 years or do for Metro. Um, is to have all of the agencies come together and you know I saw each agency just be within themselves and I always wondered well you know why if we're all training on the same same line why are we doing it separately why can't we just come together be one whole training facility and that way when we do God forbid if we have another issue like that like October 1, we can know that, okay, well, I know Jeremy is going to stack behind me on this side, and I know Reggie's going to do this, and I know you're going to do that. Um, and that's pretty much the purpose of the goal of this whole facility, you know, not just this building, but the whole, in a whole, we're looking yeah. at probably about 10, 10 buildings or so down the line, you know, as Reggie said. Uh, we've got about 10 years worth of building to do. Yeah. Um, and it, it, in my view, it probably will go further than that because, you know, you have the FBI and, and they can't train here without staying on property. So with that, we need housing. With housing, we yeah. need food. You know, we, we have all of this in mind. It's all down the line, you know, years down the line. Um, you mentioned Nellis. Nellis ha has mm -hmm. brought 200 acres to the table. Mm -hmm for us to build a driving facility. Nice. Um, we're, we're currently in the works of putting that together. Um, they're doing their turtle uh, research right now, mm -hmm. so they're looking for turtles and flowers and mm -hmm. see if they can find anything that's indigenous. Um, once that's complete, we're hoping to be at the point with the drawings to where we could just break ground and move forward and be done. Yeah. 
Well, when you get part. when you get that living in food space here, will it be like a Hilton or more like a Holiday Inn Express? Motel Is it going to be high end? Okay, well, it's then I'm not staying here. It's yeah. Vegas. We're going to have to do buffets. <laughs> <laughs> guy Perry might have a spot. <laughs> we'll do it right. We'll do it right. That really will depend on who wants to come to the it's table. True, true. You well, know, if Caesars Palace wants to build us a, a hotel, absolutely, we will yeah. be more than happy to take it. And they want to supply the restaurants within it, absolutely. Well, you know what? Tillman Fertitta is the chairman of the Houston Police Foundation, and he owns the Golden Nugget there and Morton's and all that. So, hey, Tillman, we'll take yeah, a, help we'll these guys out. Property, yeah. <laughs> We so, do get police discount though, right? <laughs> you know what? I don't know Tillman personally, you know, but uh, you know, I've had uh, on another podcast, I've, I've had one of his executives on the on the show, so we'll we'll, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> uh, but don't think that I have like this great in or anything like that. <laughs> We're gonna hold you to that. Uh, you know, I'll, the best I could do is give you a phone number <laughs> and an email address. Um, so we'll we'll end with Captain Raider. Um, Last thoughts and also the question of how, how will this enhance the performance of law enforcement in this area? Uh, my last thought is this is really, this is indicative of where police work is going, right? Uh, truly partnering with the community to get this facility built. And our, our goal is always to be the safest community in America. And the only way we can do that is by providing our officers with the tools that they need providing your first responders with the tools that they need. And we bring up the big you know, active shooter incidents and the active assailant incidents, but the day in and day out job of policing that is getting increasingly harder shows why you need a place like this. It shows why police departments need to reach across policy manuals and start doing things more together. And I believe if you do start looking at your sister agencies, uh, there's far more similarities than, than differences in the way that we do things. And look, and if we, we looked at some of the things that happened and we had the, the LVNR, lateral vascular neck restraint, which was not a chokehold, mm -hmm. but the optics on it, uh, it, it looked bad and what was going on in the nation, it was an easy thing for us to say, you know what, we actually don't use it very often, let's get rid of that, mm -hmm. right? And then we've been able to work with some of our other sister agencies in that as well. Like, hey, as a community, uh, how can we, as a law enforcement community, how can we better represent and serve this, this public? So. Uh, I'll end with, uh, it is worth it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, it's a lot of people, it's a lot of uh, pitching and doing flyers and meetings and, and really a passion project to show why this is needed. Uh, but I feel that, I said before, it's a banner you can get behind no matter what side of the aisle you want or how you feel about policing. Having better trained police officers and better trained first responders to go out there and do the job, to do the job and protect that sanctity of life uh, is paramount in what we do and we've seen how bad it can get if we don't have proper training mm -hmm. right so let's be that beacon to make sure our officers do have the training that they need and use those unconventional streams of funding to be able to get them to do that and we're building these facilities not just for our valley but mm -hmm. for the nation yeah you know if there is a if there is a department say in georgia that they need the training that we can we can assist with we are more than happy to have them come out. They, you know, there'll be a fee involved to use the facility because we do have to pay the electric sure. bill. Um, but it's not just for the Las Vegas Valley or the state of Nevada. It is for the nation. So we we're building this with that in mind to build it for everybody, not just our 
officers. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, great way to end. You know, definitely you know, reach out to the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. Um, you know, I'll certainly, if it's okay with you, I'll put the number uh, on the uh, the show notes for the podcast. Um, and I've I've seen this in other areas. Ohio comes to mind. A couple other states where there's been some some joint training where you know they they weren't egotistical enough to say, hey, these guys are doing it better. You know, let's 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 not talk about it. But hey, these guys seem to be doing it better. Let's go out there and, and learn from them. So I would encourage you, and I do encourage you to to seek these folks out, uh, Captain Raider, Tracy Shevlin, and, and Jeremy Bozarth. Um, thank you. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Um, and thank you for what you do and what you're doing here. I truly believe that it's gonna save lives. It's gonna save lives of civilians and it's gonna save lives of, of some of our first responders given what you're doing here. So a really, really sincere thank you for what you're doing. Absolutely, thank you, Ken. Public Safety Talk Radio is produced by the POCUA. POCUA is a consortium of financial institutions serving law enforcement as well as other first responders and public safety professionals. To learn more about our association and to find one of our credit unions or service providers near you, go to www.policecreditunions.com. And always remember, if you aren't working with one of our POCUA credit unions, you're just banking with an institution that just so happens to serve first responders. As a public safety professional, you and your family deserve better. Find a POCUA credit union today.